Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. He gave himself for our sins to rescue us from this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Word of God that we will concentrate on this morning is our second lesson, Galatians 5, verse 1 and verses 13 to 25, as printed in your bulletin and already read. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, Why are you here? That's the question that the Lord asked Elijah on the mountain in today's first lesson. It sounded like God wanted to know why his prophet had come to that place, to the mountain where Moses had received the Ten Commandments and all the law for Israel. And that's pretty much how Elijah answered the question. He had escaped to Sinai, the place where the Lord had made his covenant with Israel, because Israel had abandoned that covenant, and he, he wrongly thought, he, Elijah, was the only one left who cared. But God's response not only corrected Elijah's false ideas about the true state of things, there were still 7,000 in Israel who were faithful to the Lord. But God also corrected the prophet's misunderstanding of the initial question. God had asked, why are you here? But what he wanted Elijah to think about was, what is your purpose? It wasn't to complain about his situation, to focus on his own desires, or to bemoan the spiritual treason of God's people. The Lord's call gave the prophet his purpose. And once Elijah was finished with his grumbling, God spelled it out for him with the anointing of a new prophet for his people and new kings for Israel and Aram. Elijah was there to do God's work. So why are you here? You can probably guess that that's not to ask why you are here at Christ Lutheran Church in Clarksville this Sunday morning. You can be certain that it is not an invitation to griping or moaning. As with the Lord's question to Elijah, this one is meant to get us thinking about our purpose and what our lives are and are not meant for and meant to include. In our lesson today from Galatians 5, Paul answers the question for us, for all Christians. While the Galatian believers had perhaps not lost sight of what Jesus had saved us from, they had become very confused about what he had saved us for, about why we are here. And so he told them and us, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. But that freedom can far too easily be lost. First, Paul says to stand firm and do not allow anyone to put the yoke of slavery on you again. That was the big point he had been making earlier in the letter, letter over against the, the Judaizers who were trying to add obedience to the Mosaic law as a necessary thing for Christians. Because doing that is not only contrary to the gospel of Christ, but also impossible to achieve not to mention absolutely unnecessary, ungrateful, and an insult to Jesus. 
Submitting oneself all over again to the obligations of the law would be choosing heavy chains and hard labor and ensuring you never make it to heaven. But on the other side of our gospel liberty, the other side from such legalism, is license. And a big emphasis of today's reading from Galatians is that the supposed freedom of indulging your sinful nature is no freedom at all. In fact, it can lose a believer his or her inheritance in the kingdom of God. True freedom in Christ is not using forgiveness and love as an excuse for sinful attitudes and behavior, but instead using God's grace as the power you need to live as you could never live while you were still burdened by your guilt and corruption. Only those who belong to Jesus in faith are able to serve one another in love as God calls us to. It it may seem ironic or, or even contradictory, but it is true. Freedom from sin and freedom from the law means that we are finally able to fulfill the law, the ultimate law of God that tells us, love your neighbor as yourself. Simply put, that is why we are here. Or perhaps better, that is why we are still here. If God's only purpose were to get us into heaven, well, He could take us there the moment we were brought to faith and and, and we were washed clean of our sins. And while we can say that that is His greatest purpose for us, we can't ignore this other purpose. He wants us here on earth to love and serve our neighbor, to be useful for the kingdom of God and also to be useful in leading or influencing others toward the kingdom of God. To live your life according to that purpose is to walk by the Spirit. But we have to be honest, just as Paul was honest in warning the Galatians. There is a conflict. Walking by the Spirit And loving both God and our neighbor is not what our sinful natures desire. Not at all. And this is a real problem for every Christian, which means it is one for you as well. It's not imaginary. It's not just something other people have to deal with. And it's not something that you ever grow out of. Paul tells us that the works of the sinful flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, complete lack of restraint, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, discord, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, orgies, and things similar to these. Now, it is very tempting to look at that list of sins and sinful attitudes and and cherry-pick the more extreme ones and say, See? I'm quite good at this walking by the Spirit stuff. I don't bow down to idols. I don't mix magic potions or perform abortions. I haven't murdered anyone, and and my idea of fun simply does not include drunkenness and orgies. But we cannot ignore the other things in that list, which are just a sampling of sins. So, 
Maybe you've never been physically unfaithful to your spouse, but your eyes or your imagination have taken you places with other people that you shouldn't go. Perhaps you have made an idol of success in your field or the size of your stock portfolio. While you would never hate someone for no reason, there are people that you feel you have good reason to hate. There are things that you just know you are right about, and it upsets you when others disagree or oppose you, and you feel a responsibility to tell other people about it. And when others have or enjoy things or relationships that you feel you have a right to, well, it's only natural for you to express your displeasure. So, yeah, we need to be honest with ourselves. Each of us indulges our sinful natures far too often. And even if we are not extreme with these things, the verdict is the same. Those who continue to do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. We also do well to remember that while the most serious aspect of these attitudes and behaviors is that we are sinning against the Lord, with all these things we are also sinning against our neighbor and even against each other in the family of God. Paul has a warning for that too. If you keep on biting and devouring one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. He is not pointing only to open conflict. This biting and devouring includes things like being quick to complain, as though your happiness, convenience, and comfort are always more important than anything going on with a brother or sister in Christ. And it includes the the whispers of criticism and fetching that, that you pretend are private but intend to be heard. And every one of the things in Paul's long list of the works of the sinful flesh demonstrates a love for yourself and a prioritization of your own desires that excludes or outright rejects love for your neighbor. So what do we do? How do we make sure that we live in line with our real reason for being here instead of in line with our old, unredeemed sinful nature? There is only one thing to do, and it's not just try harder to be good. What we do is turn to Christ in repentance and faith and find in Him not only forgiveness for our sins, but the will and power to live as God wants and as we want, the will and the power to love and serve our neighbor. Paul uses very graphic language to tell us what those who belong to Christ do with the sinful flesh with its passions and desires that is always opposed to the spirit God has placed within us. What he says is, crucify it. This reminds us of Martin Luther's words explaining the meaning of baptism for our lives in his small catechism. Baptism means that the old Adam in us should be drowned by daily contrition and repentance, that all its evil deeds and desires be put to death. 
It also means that a new person should daily arise to live before God in righteousness and purity forever. This, this is how we follow Jesus how we live as members of our Heavenly Father's family, and how we walk by the Spirit. It's a daily thing. Repenting and trusting. Drowning and rising. Crucifying and living. And we gain the strength to do this from the Gospel, which we hear in the Word and we receive in the Lord's Supper. The Gospel which has set us free from our sins and our obligations to the law forever. And this is true freedom. This is what Jesus did for us. God saw that we were enslaved to sin and death, constantly dragged down by the desires of our flesh. And so His Son came to our world and took on our flesh. He accepted the burden of our sins all while living a life completely free of sin. And then He took that guilt to Golgotha and paid the price of all the world's wickedness with His life and blood. While He was crucified, He crucified sin, death, and Satan. And when He rose from the grave on Easter morning, it meant not only that eternal life was now ours, that we could trust that those great enemies were truly finished. We do not need to be in slavery to them anymore. And so, in following Jesus, we crucify our sinful natures so that we might live by the Spirit and love our neighbors as ourselves. That old Adam will not go quietly, though. It screams and shouts, and when that doesn't work, it cleverly tries to convince us that our freedom in Christ means that we should be free to just do what comes naturally to us and to be whatever we think we were born to be. But the only birth that matters is our rebirth by water and the Spirit. And the only nature that matters to the believer is our new nature in Christ. And the only freedom worthy of the Word is that which fulfills God's purpose for us. St. Augustine illustrated this with fish. Imagine someone coming along and seeing fish jumping in a pond and saying, Ah, I see. Those fish long to be free of that tiny body of water. And in what this person thinks is kindness, he catches all the fish and sets them in the grass and says, There, little fishies, you have your heart's desire. Be free. Or we might think of the puppy in a fenced-in yard on a busy city street who is always making a dash for the gate or barking to be let out to explore the wider world. Or maybe it's a toddler is the neighbor who takes pity on the poor thing and leaves the gate open so he can be free to play in traffic, being kind or loving? Not at all. This kind of freedom destroys precisely because it gives in to desires that should be constrained or conquered. 
So we neither want to misuse our own freedom in Christ nor encourage others in their misuse of it. It's not what any of us have been called to. That's the way to slavery, death, and hell. Instead, Paul points us to what our new natures in Christ naturally want and produce because we have been born again. Points us to the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That's a much happier list than the one that preceded it. And we could have a month of sermons on on each one of those things. But today we will limit ourselves to, to one important truth about that list. That it is not a menu to pick and choose from, but a list of ingredients. The word fruit here is singular. So all of those characteristics, love, joy, peace, etc., are part of a single whole. We don't get to say, well, my fruits are fruit and kindness, but I just don't do patience or self-control. No more than an orange could say, well, I'm really good at sweetness and color, but I just don't do pulp or peel. So why are you here? For freedom and for fruit. To be who you were born again to be. To live according to your new nature in Christ. It's all in Christ and about Christ because He is in you and all about you. And when we trust and follow Him, we love and serve Him by loving and serving each other and loving and serving our neighbor. This, this is freedom. And this is why we are here. Amen. Please rise. May our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and in his grace gave us eternal encouragement and good hope, encourage your hearts and establish you in every good work and word. Amen.